I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities. Eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. For the most part, in conflict settings, um, a lot of the responses are very gender blind. Not mm-hmm. looking at women, um, not looking at young girls at all, immediately just like, let's just cram everyone in because it's emergency. Like everybody's just trying to respond to what is happening on the ground. But what we're saying is that, look, if you're being gender blind, then you're definitely forgetting one part of the equation, which is women and girls. Hi, everybody. This is Ayesa, and I'm here joining you from Kota Kinabalu, Sabah. And I'm based here at University of Malaysia, Sabah. Hi, Amina. Hey, Ayesa. Hey, I was going to I was going to ask you, are you a fan of ABBA? Yes, I am. I mean, I like this their songs, but I somehow have a selective memory. I'm not very good in memorizing the names or the titles of the songs, and I also don't oh. know who are the ABBA members. So I have to You're kidding design, me. you know, from that duty. Yeah, but the minute You're that I hear me. the music, of course, I know that it's ABBA. But I just couldn't remember the the lyrics or the titles of the song. But of course, they're you know uh, I think every generation knows Abba. Even my daughter feel, would know Abba songs. You make me yeah. you make me feel really bad because that means you Why? are really that much younger than I am that you don't know the names of the the Abba group. But anyway, the reason I I asked you, you remember their song Chiquitita. Oh yes, definitely. Did, did, yeah. uh, tell me there, that one, right? Yeah. Did, uh, it was, yeah I was in high school when that became big. <laughs> oh, quit it, Ayesa. Stop rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. So what's so special about this Chiquitita song? Because I found out that uh, Abba wrote that song for UNICEF during the year of the child decades ago. Okay, okay, yes. And Abba gave the copyright to UNICEF. Oh, that's wonderful. Did you know that the the funds from Chiquitita 
uh, is allocated towards the UNICEF projects for girls' education. Isn't that oh, nice? That's a very noble uh, initiative then. Yeah. It, it, there's, um, okay. there's this news. Um, they were doing interviews with these uh, girls in, in Guatemala. And okay. uh, one of the projects uh, was a series of workshops on health and self-esteem okay. for primary school girls where sexual education uh, is lacking and domestic abuse of uh, young girls was rather rampant. So mm -hmm. ABBA was interviewed. And ABBA was very clear about where they wanted the money from Chiquitita mm -hmm. to go. And uh, okay. the lead, one of the two males uh, who formed ABBA, Bjorn, mm -hmm. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Ulveus. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he said that the most urgent thing that can be done in this globe is the empowerment of young women and girls. Isn't that sweet? True, true. And he okay. was uh, remarking that it's really sad that there are cultures and religions around the globe that just don't give girls equal chances. So they told, mm -hmm. uh, Abba told UNICEF, that's where they want the money to go, girls' education. And I keep wondering, okay. you think the girls in Afghanistan are able to access any of this? Among uh, the UN agencies, I think both UNICEF and UN Women are really very active and they are really the, the frontliners among the UN agencies wherever there's a crisis, you know, humanitarian yeah. crisis. Like in Myanmar, I'm sure UNICEF is, is very busy there. And so well, with UN Women, yeah. Let's keep our, let's keep our fingers crossed and uh, let's hope that uh, Chiquitita reaches uh, mm. Afghanistan although okay. knowing okay. the Taliban they will not allow the singing of Chiquitita oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. okay so I think you know it, it's also interesting that today we have a young uh, lady joining yeah. us and, and let's ask her then if uh, she also knows Chiquitita you know and maybe she'll be able to sing for us yeah but this um guest of ours today is this very um you know interesting because at the very early age i think at the age of 14 years old yeah you know? so that must be she must be in second year high school in the philippines the age of 14 mm -hmm. she has already been a, a human rights defender and that she was actually doing a peer education teaching other girls about violence against women and uh, and girls so I think this is really an opportunity for us to tell her her stories. How did it come about that a 14-year-old girl very early on you know, embraced you know, this kind of advocacy and work? And then uh, her name you know, is Shama Silvosa Bulangis, and she's from the Visayas region. And Shama here uh, co-chairs this Transform Education Program which is a network of um, young feminists under the United Nations Girls Education Initiative. She is also a founder in the Visayas region of this LBTQ network without the G. 
So we will find out from her how come it is an LBTQ network, which yeah, is a network for yeah, what happened to the G, which is a network for lesbian, bisexual, trans, and queer women in the Visayan uh, Visayas region in the Philippines, and then at present, Shama is working with UN Women as co-coordinator for civil society advocacy and monitoring and, and monitoring. So for our uh, special lady of the day is uh, Shama. Shama, welcome to She Talks Peace. Hi, Shama. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Hi, I just actually want to say that um, I do know ABBA. You've heard about Chiquitita, Shama. Oh, yeah. You've um, heard about I it. hear that all the time uh, <laughs> whenever there's karaoke in my neighbor's house. And the titas will sing it all the time. Chiquitita is always uh, there. So I think that I didn't know that the Chiquitita, the... the the rights to Chiquitita belong to UNICEF. I think I'm going to listen to it on loop now because of that. And when you have That's sessions, right. you start with Chiquitita. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's promote Chiquitita. Love that. <laughs> so to tell us, uh, Shama, I mean, uh, Ayesa was just saying that you started becoming an activist at the age of 14. At 14, I'm trying to remember, what, what was I doing? <laughs> so, so how did you, a 14-year-old, become an advocate? Uh, an, uh, an advocate? What, what, drove you, what drove you to it, Chama? When I was 14, uh, Dr. Ayasa, you're right, um, I was in second year high school. Uh, and everything that's going on in a second year, year, uh, second year high school year old's mind is, was going through my mind. Like I hadn't had my period yet. I was like, when are, am I going to get my period? Lord, please don't let me die before I get my period. Um, does my crush like me back? Like, is this, is, <laughs> I remember <laughs> those days. <laughs> is there, is there a chance? Um, will I have a relationship at the end of high school? Like, will I ever have a relationship? Um, and then at the same time as well, I was also a nerd. Uh, so I would read a lot. I was very interested in the law uh, at that time. So I would just like look up law things. Um, I, I, I'm not pursuing law right now, but I was very interested in becoming a lawyer when I was in high school. Uh, and then there's this program by Girl Scouts during that time. Um, it was the Adolescent Female Health Program that they have with UNFPA. And okay. with YPEER, um, that your YPEER is also a, an organization that exists to this day. Um, and then that program had like a full-on module on um, adolescent female health, STI, HIV, AIDS, which was for which was for high school kids like me. I was very okay. interested in violence against women and girls. Uh, actually, VAOC, violence against women and children, which is RA nine two six two. Yeah. Uh, the Republic Act 9262 in the Philippines. And I studied that heavily when I was, when I, after wow. um, and then after that, I was like, how do I apply this? What is, what is going on in my, with my city? I was in Surigao yet. I was in Mindanao. Um, I was in Northeastern Mindanao. Um, I became very active as a peer educator after that. Young girls my age and younger than me in high school came forward uh, and told me about their stories as well. 
um, of how they were. I, I don't know if this is a trigger. This is a trigger warning for those who are listening, but uh, came forward and t- told me that their uncles would um, do inappropriate things to them um, oh. in issues of violence oh. in the family, um, which is a lot to handle for a 14-year-old. That made me angrier and that made me spiteful <laughs> and that made me uh, do the work of peer education a lot more. Um, the in- the in- in- existing campaign was just say no at the time. Um, but then like, if you're young, you can't really just say no, right? Um, so we, we had to form a system wherein if you wanted to report anything in my high school, um, then you can report it, but not everybody would want to report it for the sake of the family. There are a lot of complications around violence against women and girls, which made me really interested in, um, working on it even up until now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Chama, uh, I guess uh, you and me, we're all from, originally from Mindanao. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think this must be true also for you, Ayesa, but when I was uh, in high school, when I was with the Girl Scouts, you never talked about this kind of uh, harassment, this kind of violence against yeah. girls, of family members or people okay. of authority. Um, you know, if it ever happened, you know, you'd talk about it quietly amongst yourselves among us girlfriends lang. Mm-hmm. but you did not report it you did not come forward because it was a shame you mm-hmm. shamed not just yourself but you shamed your family so mm-hmm. how did you manage to draw out the stories from from young girls and what were they willing to do to correct to right the wrong that was done to them so um, reporting wise, they would report to me. But when, because under RA nine two six two, I'm sorry for getting technical here, but you can you can file a TOR for the person if they do not want to do it. That's part of the law. So I told them I know some lawyers because some of the people who um, taught Bausi as a module were also from my city. So I was like, I can talk to them for you. Reporting-wise, nothing happened. Because again, shame. You're right. They didn't want their families to be put on the spotlight. Because imagine the type, even for older women, imagine the type of um, 
public shaming, the type of stigma that you would be facing because supposedly for women we are we are um, we are taught and we are we are uh, pressured to hold our families together. Um, so there was a lot of pressure to not come out with it. But what we were happy about is that they were actually able to talk about it with their parents. And their parents were the ones who corrected um, the situation, uh, had to push the uncle outside, for example, uh, so that they wouldn't live with them. Um, and I think that's kind of, I take that as a victory because mm-hmm. if, if it wasn't for our, if it wasn't for the strong support uh, that the community had, like the community of girls had um, in my high school, I don't think that they would be able to feel brave enough to tell their parents about it. Um, and also, mm-hmm. if it's also that the parents were very much willing to do that, uh, which was also mm-hmm. a strength on their part. But other than that, no, nothing in the police. And maybe that's a model of anti-carceral type of uh, resolution. Um, but that was how it was handled uh, during that time. Are you pursuing the uh, these programs um, on violence against women, uh, educating women, especially young women and girls, about what their their rights are? Is that what you and women's doing in in your group? So thank you for asking that. So with UN Women, my work with UN Women is mainly on coordinating a global civil society movement on ending violence against women and girls. So it's not just in schools, but it's on responses, it's on prevention, um, and education is part of prevention. So SRHR, sorry, uh, Sexual Reproductive Health and Rights, um, CSE, which is uh, Comprehensive Sexuality Education, is part of prevention, along with certain like points of um, um, policies, like for example, light bulbs, which is like a very simple policy, but it's not it's not direct, but it's a very indirect way of, of protecting women. There's also transportation systems and changing transportation systems to prevent violence against uh, women and girls, which I've experienced myself uh, in the MRT being groped by mm-hmm. um, men who are on the on the train. Um, and th- just a lot of that uh, and in at the global scale. Um, on the on the ground here in my city, because I moved to Visayas and ha- now I'm in uh, Dumaguete. Actually, this month we are going to we're we're conducting. I'm I'm we're also with Dr. Jen Elmaco, we implemented um, Girls Congress. And with Girls Congress, we have alumni, and the alumni and I are planning a research on school-related gender-based violence in three high schools in uh, my city right now. It's gonna be. It, I'm gonna, I'm just helping them. It's it's more it's more their idea than my idea. They just wanted to do it because we've talked heavily about mm-hmm. it. I think all women have issues and have had stories of sexual-related uh, gender-based violence, um, and these girls want to do something about it. But they want to establish a baseline of how bad is it? What are the existing mechanisms to help solve it? And how can we promote these mechanisms so that more girls are able to report uh, around? You know, Shamo mentioned earlier about uh, lights, you know, in public places like uh, waiting sheds. You know, I, I think uh, yeah. I, I wanted yeah. also to to bring it up because as Shama said, simple things like, you know, uh, having well-lighted waiting sheds and public spaces 
can actually help secure, you know, increase the security, especially uh, for uh, girls and women. Uh, I was involved one time in a study on public transportation system, just like Shama mentioned, you know, in the public transportation system, a part of that is to have all these waiting sheds that are secure, you know, and, and well-lighted. So, you know, the, these simple things actually, you know, helps in increasing security. Um, but Shama, I also read that you are part of this girls' education program with UN and that you are co-chair of this transformation education. What is this all about? Is this related also with uh, sexual and gender-based uh, violence or it's another uh, initiative? So... It's, it's definitely related. Transform Education is a group of young feminists working on education to transform education in and through gender equality. So gender equality within classrooms, but also using education as a way to transform the way that society looks at gender equality. That's kind of the, the goal of, of the network itself. Within the network, we have different thematic groups. One of it is SRGBV. Um, which is school-related gender-based violence. One of it is gender-equal climate education. Um, one of it is um, SRHR, um, which is Comprehensive Sexuality Education and uh, Sexual Rights and uh, Sexual and Reproductive Health and Rights. Um, and then one of it is girls in um, girls' education in crisis uh, areas. Um, so we 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 did like a, a study with the girls' education in crisis areas in conflict settings. Um, with the higher education institution um, and where we talked about, we talked to girls from conflict settings um, in Africa and in the Middle East as well. And we published the, we published um, a whole uh, one pager advocacy paper around it where we've talked, where we've talked about how there is a need to focus on girls education, even in conflict settings, because for the most part in conflict settings, um, a lot of the responses are very gender blind, not looking at women, um, not looking at young girls at all, immediately just like, let's just cram everyone in because it's emergency. Like everybody's just trying to respond to what is happening on the ground. But what we're saying is that, look, if you're being gender blind, then you're definitely forgetting one part of the equation, which is women and girls. Chama are are these studies available uh, online? I mean, it will be interesting if there are um, components of these studies on social media, for example, because, you know, young people today, like even in my class, you know, they really, you know, hold on to information from social media instead of going through the, yeah. the journal articles and the book. We published some things on our uh, Instagram because we're just mostly on Instagram okay. and our, on our Twitter as well. But the paper itself is also a toolkit for social media. So we've, we've put their social media cards that you can use and you can post on your uh, oh, IG as well. Because that's how, that's how we've been doing things. Like we don't just publish research papers. It's a lot of graphics because not everybody will read the words. Uh, maybe I will read the words because I'm a nerd, but not everybody will, will read all of the words uh, that you so it's it's a lot of social media cards that you can yeah. use as well yeah. and post. By the way, Shama, um, you're, you're co-founder of the uh, Visayas LBTQ Network. And I was asking Ayesa, what happened to the G? <laughs> what happened to the G? Why is so there no G? 
Yeah, so the LBTQ network actually started. Um, it's a side thing that I also do, um, mainly from the vow uh, space. Because if there's one thing that I, I've been I've learned from engaging within the vow space is that you can't just focus on one thing. If you want to solve peace, for example, you also have to think about climate change. You also have to think about LGBTQ plus rights, etc. So you have to be intersectional about the way that you do things. The, way, the reason why we formed the Visayas LBTQ Network is that we understand that we have to fight misogyny and the patriarchy, but that this also exists even within the LGBTQ plus community. And cis men within the community still benefit from um, the patriarchy and misogyny itself. So we want to be able to kind of band together as women and think of what are the ways that we can continue the conversations around misogyny even within the community and be that voice for our gay friends and for our uh, uh, gay allies saying, hey, this, is, this doesn't work anymore. Like when, when gays say things are about women, um, you're, you're benefiting from a structure that puts you on a pedestal and puts us a little bit less because we're both women and gay. When uh, my kids start talking about uh, gender identities, gender roles, I must admit I am most of the time lost. So can you tell me, Shama, why is this something so important for young people? There's a joke on TikTok actually where it's like, why, um, why are there not a lot of people, young people getting married or why aren't there a lot of people like trying to have kids? And it's like, because we're all gay. Um, no. <laughs> Generalize, generalization aside, um, I think that just for us, um, the freedom of being able to express yourself and to be able to explore your identity is something that's very, it's very cool. It's very some. It's it's something that really kind of reaches into our our the back of our brains and tries to like control not not control but like it, it's really something that we've been racking our brains about because in a world where you're very connected and almost everyone's identities are similar to each other like you can see people like describing you who are you uh amidst all of that like who who is shama who is amina who is ayesa out of all of the things that are already out there what makes you unique um, so the, the the freedom and the and the want for expressing ourselves and finding ourselves out, I think that's something that's um, that's something that that racks our brain all the time. Secondly, I think that just the LGBTQ plus movement has been very successful. Um, has been, I think, one of the more successful movements to be able to push our agenda forward, the gay agenda forward. Um, We've been looking at lenses through queers. Uh, we've been looking through everything at for with queer lenses. Um, we we are. I mean, in my city, we are even doing like queer theology, where we look at the Bible um, when we're reading the Bible and we're reading it from a feminist and queer lens about how um, Jonathan and David, for example, may not maybe more than just friends, and that's fine. Uh oh. <laughs> Uh, and then and then uh trying to see about uh trying to see like a lot of things from uh a lens where it's not just what we're what is given to us but maybe there's something more there that people don't want us to see um and that we we just want to explore for ourselves and i think that's something that 
the the queer movement has has really um turned uh on its face as well being able to push people to see hey sex is not just about the biological thing it's also something that is gendered that is social because the moment that you come out and you have a penis for example you're immediately assigned the roles of a man you're immediately assigned that the gender of a man but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily born a man um and that you're able to still explore your identity with or without your genitals even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ayesa and I, we come from uh, the Muslim community. And the Muslim community, even more than mm-hmm. the, the Christian or Catholic communities and other uh, uh, faith communities, are very strict about mm. uh, the roles that men and uh, and women and women play and um i keep i keep thinking that uh, when you're looking at human security i guess we really have to maybe expand right our our definitions and because you and i we we work on human rights and when you're talking about human rights it's not just rights of uh, girls and boys men and women it's it's everybody's uh, right so so shama going back to transforming education so you have this uh, this project this is a un project right um transforming education in crisis beyond uh, the barriers uh Can you tell us a little bit more about this and what does it do for for young people especially girls? So the 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 work on transform education um is actually a broad um like a broad umbrella against other things um that we're doing. So it's uh, an umbrella for gender equal climate education. It's also an umbrella against SRGBV, so school related gender based violence. Um, it's uh, it's an umbrella on girls education conflict settings, uh, SRHR and CSE. So what we do is for all over the world, we have a very strong Africa um, group actually, because uh, I mean we're trying to strengthen our uh, Southeast Asia and Asia um, group, but. For Africa, for example, um, we gather individuals and organizations who are working on education at the at the connections between education and gender equality. So, not a lot of people would do that, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of young people who are working on gender equality, but not on education. But and then there are some that are working on education, but not on gender equality, and we want to try to bring them together into these spaces. So we're really trying to bring people together through the network. The network is hosted within the UN Girls Education Initiative. So what they do is they basically are pitas, our moms, <laughs> um, where they like give us the mentorship that we need, they give us the support that we need 
Um, and actually, right now, there's Education Cannot Wait. Um, it's a, a high-level uh, forum right now that's happening in Geneva. And some of our members are there to talk about our work on girls' um, education in conflict settings. And this is a, an advocacy tool. Like, as I said, the research that we did, we had like a lot of solidarity circles with girls from, uh, with 90 girls from like four different countries. Um, and we published this as an advocacy tool that all organizations within Transform Education can use, but also at the same time as our tool to talk to higher ups. So for example, we've, we've talked to um, ECW, which is Education Cannot Wait. It's a, it's a huge organization on education and uh, in conflict settings. Um, and we've talked, they, they, they would very much say that, and I think I definitely agree with this, the only way to also um, to, to make sure that girls' education is also achieved is also to end armed conflict everywhere. Very much agree with that. And, and that's also one of the work, uh, one of the things that we support, but we don't really fully work on because you can only work on so much uh, at this point. Um, and then there's also the conversations around SRHR and CSE, where it's just support for organizations on the ground, like Feminit, for example, in the Caribbean provides uh, free pads and tampons for girls in high schools and talks to them about their menstruation, which is something that we support. And then we amplify their work and connect them to different um, organizations um, all over the world, the high level organizations that they can talk to and that they can provide insights from the work that they're doing on the ground. So it's really just a matter of bringing a lot of young people together who are already doing the work. We don't have to train them on anything, but if they do need some capacity building, we try to provide it. But we know that they're already doing the work. They're encouraging themselves. They're enriching themselves. We just want to be able to use that and have them teach other young people as well. So it's, it's a cross-pollination type of um, network. Back to the conflict of uh, areas in Mindanao, Shama and Mindanao. At one time, you know, while I was doing my uh, PhD research in uh, Liguasan Marsh, and this was way back in 2007, 2008. So that was still the height of armed confrontations between the government forces and the MILF. And then I've talked to some of the families there, and, and, and I, I lived actually in, in a couple of weeks in some of these areas. And yeah, it's really um, a usual um, situation where some of the girls, you know, are will never be able to go to school, you know, because school would mean that they would have to travel two, three hours by foot or by small mm -hmm. boat. And then, and most often, it's not because uh, the parents do not want their children to be educated, but there is a real and present danger for them to be traveling out of their villages and to go to school and for them to be coming home. So that's really, you know, a key um, issue when you talk about girls' education in conflict-affected communities. So I wonder if, you know, uh, UNICEF and UN Women in, in Philippines, you know, uh, also take note of that kind of reality with girls' education. Because it's not, yeah, nobody's really contesting that, you know, we want to educate children. But the reality is that you have very high-risk areas in the Philippines that, you know, standing for parents to send out their children, whether they are boys or girls, they are really putting their children at a harm's, at a harm's way. So 
you know, uh, what do you think about that, Shamao? We've definitely talked about that. Um, but also, Dr. Ayesa, there is a contestation about girls' education. Um, in the Philippines, maybe not. Like, maybe we are very much more driving our kids to school. But in other parts of the in other parts of the world, um, they are heavily blocking girls from going to school. Um, uh, Amina has talked about uh, Afghanistan, for example. They blocked girls from entering university just recently. I think December 2022. Um, they've also blocked the, the, they've blocked women from other types of um, uh, professions as well. So there's there's this ongoing anti-women uh, sentiment from other parts of the world, which we're still definitely pushing back on. Um, in terms of um, girls setting, like girls' uh, experiences in conflict settings, and I think also young women's um, experiences in conflict settings, completely agree with that. Um, the the way from school to work uh, and the way from sorry the, the way from home to school or the way from home to work that is something that that's also another another uh, barrier of um, the violence that you experience on the way is also another barrier so it's not just being able to get there it's also okay even if it is super near will you be experiencing violence on the way there and that's very much very much something that you will experience if you're in a conflict setting. When girls go from their home to their school, for example, we all know that one of the tools of war is kidnapping girls. We all know that one of the tools of war is rape against young women. Um, and this is this is something that people are very much scared of, which is why ECW would say in order to get more young girls and women to school, we need to have an end to armed conflict, which is something that is very difficult to end. But also, it's something that maybe, maybe, maybe there are certain like levels of uh, secret schools that we can we can work into, or or the practice of uh, girls educating other girls. What came to mind immediately? Um, the Australian model from decades ago, generations ago, because the the population was so widely scattered, it didn't make sense to put up schools everywhere. So they would have uh, schools on air mm. via radio, and you work with with what you have. And I keep wondering why that's not being used as much. Before before we go, I, I wanted to read to you part of the Chiquitita song because I think it. You know, this is the first time Ayesa and Shama that I've really thought about the. Uh, the content of the song. It was just a popular song before to me. And listen to this. It says, uh, uh, Chiquitita, you and I know how the heartaches come and they go and the scars they're leaving. You'll be dancing once again and the pain will end. You will have no time for grieving. Chiquitita, you and I cry, but the sun is still in the sky and shining above you. Let me hear you sing once more, like you did before. Sing mm -hmm. a new song, Chiquitita. See that? Now I understand the meaning of the song, yes, I and Chama. Then, as we as we end on that beautiful note, Chama, perhaps um, you would would want to. I give a message to our listeners, especially the the young people who are listening to us about what they can do 
to right some wrongs and to speak up for themselves and be counted. Over to you, Shama. It's actually very difficult, but I'll try. Um, I think for the young people who are who are listening um, to this podcast right now, I know that it's. I know that a lot of us want to change the world. That's kind of like what what we're what we're looking at right now, and whether whether or not that's through social media or whether or not that's through our communities. Um, just remember that their individual actions matter, but having it having it done with communities is much better. Um, the more people that join the work on ending violence against women and girls, the more people that join on the work on ending armed conflict, the more people that join the work on building peace, the more that we can actually make it a better, the, the more that we can actually make the work um, actually work. So if you're interested in doing that, um, there are organizations that you can join or you can start an organization on your own. Um, but I'm pretty sure that everything is online and you can look it up. And um, I don't know if you can reach to Amina and Dr. Ayasa to join um, Women Peace Builders organizations. But that's I think that's a suggestion that I would start with uh, joining an organization and being enriched in that organization. Thank you so much, Shama, for um, your message and your invitation to young people and those who are like me, I hope, young at heart, <laughs> and Ayesa, uh, who's somewhere in the middle. So, so thanks so much, Shama, for joining us. And to our listeners from all over the world, thank you so much for staying with us. And... Uh, uh, eavesdropping in our conversation with uh, Shama. Uh, this is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying bye for now and uh, join us again next week. Ayesa? Okay, and this is Ayesa. We're here in Kota Kinabalu. Thank you again, Shama. I'm sure all our listeners you know, enjoyed our conversation. So until next time, we will see you again in She Talks Peace. Bye, everybody. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.